You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30-06, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we are talking with Troy Hepker about pheasants. And I'll tell you what, the very first hunting anything that I did, well, aside from trapping, the first ever hunt I went on was with my uncle for pheasants. And there's something special about that uh, in my I guess catalog of hunts and special moments in the outdoors was the first ever animal that I killed, let's say with a weapon, meaning like a a gun or a bow and arrow. And that my friends was a pheasant. And uh, so today, Troy and I are gonna do a little talking about the heritage and the history of the pheasant population in the state of, of Iowa. And it goes all the way back to the early 1900s, uh, I think maybe even the late 1800s, but regardless, the the story of how pheasants were kind of introduced in Iowa was almost an accident. And there's a story that goes along with it, and you're going to hear that today on the podcast. So this story is about how pheasants uh, got rooted here in Iowa. And uh, man, I love conversations like this because in a way, not only is this a podcast about, you know, a natural resource like the pheasants, I, when I was younger, I had no idea that pheasants were actually introduced into North America. And uh, so whenever I heard that, I, it was kind of an awakening for me. And uh, so this is a little bit more of a detailed conversation about that, uh, that timeline, I guess you'd say. So before we get into this episode, though, we got to do a quick commercial. If, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to go to quietcat.com and check out some of the bikes, the electric bikes that these guys sell, it might be worth your while. I tell you what, I've been on them before. They are f- absolute blast to ride. I love riding them. Uh, me and my wife were in Colorado earlier this year and my buddy has a couple of them. And so we went up in the mountains riding these bikes. And as you know, we're from Iowa. It's not very hilly in Iowa compared to Colorado. So turning on the pedal assist and the battery made it easier for us to get up some of these steep hills. I wasn't sucking wind in that thin air and uh, it made the ride more enjoyable. Now you can also use this on the hunting side of things as well. And let's say instead of driving your truck all the way back to your tree stand, get on your quiet cat, It doesn't make any noise except the tires on the ground, right? You might be able to access um, a food plot 
or the backside of your property without disturbing it too much if you're older or let's just say you're not in good shape or you got bum knees or bad legs or you know just don't have the best body a quiet cat can help you get to where you want to go and the best part about this whole thing is that they're fun right they're an absolute fun to ride especially if you just want to take it around the block or go on some biking trails here in Iowa or throughout the midwest Go check out quietcat.com. There's the commercial. Let's get into today's pheasant podcast with Troy Hepker. All right, on the phone with me again, Mr. Troy Hepker. Troy, what's up, man? Hi, Dan. How are you today? I'm doing all right, man. It's, uh, you know, it's cool for a week, then it's hot for a week, then it's cool for a week, and now it is hot as hell (laughs) again here in Iowa and uh, I'll, I don't know about you, but I am ready for fall in a major way. I am just like you. I tell you, you get the fever. I do on these mornings here, like the last week where it was cool and you wake up and it feels like fall. The sun has a feel to it the way it's in the sky and you you have itch, this burning desire to go hunting and, and then. Yeah. Like you say, then you wake up like on a morning like this that we're speaking here and the sun has a lot of power and it's hot outside again and it kind of just kind of fizzles your dreams out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I say fall, but as we all know, you know, sometimes, you know, September's and October, October's can be gorgeous. And then sometimes we can have those Indian summers where it's just like August part two. Yeah. Yeah, we sure can, and that's yeah, boy, that's Iowa, isn't it? You yeah, know what you're gonna what you're gonna get from here? Yeah. So, uh, what have you been up to since the last time we talked? You've been fishing. You've been doing anything as far as preparing for the upcoming uh, whitetail seasons? I've been doing some. Uh, I took a vacation, went to Lake Michigan, did some fishing uh, on Lake Michigan and a couple of the rivers. We were up at the UP and. And uh, got to fish some up that way, and uh, then, oh, I think uh, since we got back, I, we went out to a farm pond and did some fishing out there the weekend, did a little shooting, uh, took some rifles along, and t- took some kids along, and some plinking, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, just kind of been uh, trying to get in the outdoors and, and uh, have some fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um so you you recently wrote an article, and the title of this article for the uh, Iowa Sportsman in the Iowa Sportsman magazine was called Exploring Iowa's Pheasant Heritage. And I know I've talked with another guy on uh, on pheasants about, you know, uh, pheasants here in Iowa, specifically habitat loss uh, throughout the years and statistics and rebounding numbers. But um, that was more of a statistic-driven podcast. But similar to the fur I think it was, we did the fur trappers episode as, uh, as well, right? About the Iowa's, uh, importance in the fur trade. Yep. 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 So, uh, this is going to be a similar episode, but the topic of today's episode is going to be about, uh, about Iowa pheasants. Now, I think the best thing to do is start in chronological order and go as far back as, uh, as we know you know, in the history of Iowa and, and where pheasants came into play there, whereabouts do, do pheasants and Iowa on this timeline, where, where does that start? 
Well, it, it doesn't start about till the, the turn of the century in 1900, 1901. And, and that, that's not to say that there weren't efforts made privately uh, uh, to establish some pheasants or to bring some pheasants into Iowa prior to that. Uh, and the reason I say that is because really the first uh, most well-established ringneck pheasant um, stocking in the United States um, took place in Oregon. Oh, okay. Um, in, I believe, 1881. And so from 1881, there was a guy, um, I think he, he his employment took him to China, um, and, and he came back to the United States, and uh, he imported um, the ringneck pheasant from China to, to Oregon and established them out there in the uh, Willamette Valley in 1881. And that was really the first successful, and, and they did, they did well there. By 1892, they had their first hunting season and harvested a lot of birds. Okay. And so um, uh, from there, some of those birds then began being shipped from there across the western United part of the United States. Prior to that, though, there had been uh, some ringneck pheasants brought into New England to the east coast from Europe. Um, and some black neck pheasants brought in, um, and but the really the uh, the a real real good first establishment of pheasants was out there. So that's why I say prior to 1901, we don't just exactly know for sure. There was possibility that some people had had imported some ring neck pheasants to Iowa, but it would have been privately done, no records kept, uh, that type of thing. But in 19 uh, oh, one, um, really, um, we have a, a story, which is really kind of interesting. It's kind of, um, or I found it interesting. It um, detailed a, a, a man who lived uh, by Cedar Falls, and he started kind of a, kind of a little game farm or a, a, pen, a, a pen-raised operation. His name was William Benton, and he was of European descent. And, and I'm sure just like a lot of people that were come to the United States back then of Europe, European descent, they enjoyed, if they were outdoorsmen, they enjoyed hunting pheasants in the fields of Europe. So they wanted that here. And so he was raising several thousand birds. It's not known the exact number. And uh, somewhere um, during the time frame when he was raising those birds, um, I believe it would have been 1901 or early 1902, uh, fall, winter time, uh, or probably fall, I'm guessing, because they, they claim a thunderstorm came through and wrecked his pens and released the, the count could be anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 all the way up to some locals claim 20,000, although that number is probably vastly exaggerated because even state-ran game farms at the time and since then really don't run 20,000 bird operations. So so the exact number is unknown, but probably, you know, very possibly into into 1,000 to 3,000 or, or more odd birds were released and uh, in that Cedar Falls region. And, you know, and that there was also the rumor that some of the locals helped see two of those birds were released because they wanted to hunt them. They wanted them freed. They wanted them in their fields. And they wanted to see them you know, take stock and grow. 
And uh, so that's part of the rumor, too, because there's no real record of of any of that. But that's where we first see uh, a successful um, major stocking of the pheasant in Iowa. And I think that story is kind of interesting. It isn't it isn't from the state. It isn't government funded. It isn't. But it's kind of a an accident yeah. or, you know, that kind of nature. You know, and that's uh, it's crazy that things like that happen. And you hear other stories about that. I specifically don't have an example, but you hear stories about uh, wildlife adapting to specific areas of the country and, and they just, you know, they flourish. And and when I originally heard this story, I like to me, before I heard that story, I assumed along with a lot of other people that pheasants had been here forever. Like when when we started to, move across the country pheasants were already here and then i you know i hear that they weren't here and it's just like this really big educational moment and because i i love pheasant hunting whenever i get the opportunity and you know i am from the parkersburg originally my family is from the parkersburg iowa area and i hunted on some family farms around that area and now hearing that story i'm like these pheasants are here by pure accident right? The, a storm comes mm-hmm. through, yep. knocks down some pens, or like you said, the rumor has it, uh, maybe the storm assisted or maybe knocked down a couple pens, but some of the locals, uh, you know, finish the job, so to speak. And, and thus, in, you <laughs> know, introducing pheasants into the landscape. And it sounds like they took to the landscape fairly well. They did. And from all accounts going forward there, it sounds like those birds, those original birds um, really uh, succeeded in reproducing and and keeping a viable population in the area uh, west and north of Benton's um, location. And south and east, they didn't so much. Now, whether the reason for that is the prevailing winds pushed all of them. If it was a storm, pushed all them birds to fly north or fly west or or what, and then just keep working their way that way. Who knows? Um, because the habitat between, you know, just south of there isn't that much different than, you know, north of west of there. But for some reason, anyhow, the accounts um, tell that, that north and west of his operation there that those – that those original birds sustained themselves. So, yeah, and you're right. Yeah, Parkersburg. That would have been you were you you're hunting those farms that would have been the first farms where people, um, you know, in early 1900, just after the turn of the century, would have. And I kind of started the article that way. Was wouldn't it have been a a surprise to kind of, you know, you wake up one morning and you see what is this bird that's that's. Uh, running around and there's another one and there's another one. And now I'm seeing these birds all over. Where'd they come from? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so right up through that area would have been kind of that first area where you would have, would have been able to see a, a you know, a ringneck pheasant in Iowa. Yeah. And it says here, Blackhawk, Grundy, Butler, and Bremer County um, seem to be the, the first four counties that they, they really took to and, and started spreading to there. Um, now, why do you think, in your in your own opinion, that the the pheasants just just started flourishing in this? Was it 
the the habitat was there a lot of it was there a good food source was it mild winters was there low predation what were some of the reasons that this that that this happened and, and it happened so well well i think you mentioned the first two right off the bat habitat and climate and i think you know the location of that where that guy lived that was that was pen raising those birds just happened to be in a really good area and we see it we've seen it the entire century of of a great area to sustain the pheasant population it always has been and and that that goes back to that perfect rainfall mix for nesting and brooding and that area has it it, it had a, especially at that time it would have had a great habitat things weedy fields, you know, all that kind of prairie grasses at that farms that that really were perfect for that type of creature, you know, to, to sustain itself. Yeah. And obviously the landscapes changed a lot since nineteen oh one um here in Iowa as far as farming practices and all and all that stuff. So the you know, the the birds got out, they flourish what happened next? Um, did, did the state of Iowa jump in and say, okay, well now that they're released, let's start to man- start to manage them and, and, and take a look or did they just forget about them and kind of let them do their thing for a while? Well, I don't think, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it spurred this great desire right off the bat to introduce the pheasant with our, our state. But, uh, I do think that, you know, more as more and more people um, wanting to see the pheasant um, here as a game bird, um, I think the state slowly kind of became involved. And the sad thing is, is, is that records really are non-existent prior to probably 1921, really. I mean, there are, there are certain things there prior to 1921 that you can see in print and you can see that they did this or they did that associated with a date, but really as far as a, a yearly program of what they were doing prior to 1921, it's sketchy. And so we, we know of several plantings and some were private, um, you know, within the state, I think, um, they tried to, uh, establish, um, putting out birds, um, and I know, it, I know like, uh, oh, Keokuk County, you know, four, but it was, um, unsuccessful really. Um, 1907, 1908 would have been Casus, O'Brien County. There were, we know there were, were successful planning attempts made there. Um, other ones were documented, some were not, uh, during that time period of maybe 19, 19- Oh one or 1902 till 1912 or something like okay. nature. But really, you know, anything kind of South that was tried Southern half of the state really was successful. And some of the stuff to the North that was tried was successful. Um, and so, yeah, that, that the state really, you know, we didn't have the DNR as we know it today back then. And so, um, that we had a the, the state the state fish and game warden um and uh in 1910 i believe it was it was a re- it was a report 
between 1908 and 1910 that covered that time period that that George Lincoln, who was a state warden, uh, he mentioned that it included that they he he had correspondence with other states, um, and I think it was in New Orleans. He went down and they met with other state wardens, and they met about regarding regarding the endeavor of introducing game birds and the distribution of eggs and that kind of thing. And so they decided to distribute eggs to farmers as the most successful way to introduce a ring pheasant here in Iowa. So he purchased, or the state did, and distributed like 6,000 and some odd eggs to 178 different applicants in 82 counties across the state. And then he told them the instructions to how to hatch them, rear them, and then liberate them in the fall. Huh. And the next year was the same thing. They distributed um, per pheasants from breeders and got those eggs and distributed those. And so we know we were doing things like by 1913, Butler County, um, some counties surrounding them, they were all receiving birds, the allotment of, of these birds. Um, and some counties were getting a little larger proportion than others. Um, so, uh, yeah, there was, there was some distribution of, by the state, by, you know, the night, obviously by night, maybe 1908 and probably more like 1909, 1910, 1911. Um, but to what degree, we don't exactly know all the details of. Right. It sounds to me like, you know, once the, once the accident happened, there was, still a lot of this small planting throughout the entire you know in, throughout the entire nation that or the in, throughout the entire state that kind of led to um this this 1913-1915 time frame where they just ramped up everything in a major way and started distributing these birds all over the state and that sounds to me it, you know just based off the data that's given here that is when we really started to get a, a grip on, I guess, learning how to raise the birds and also how to introduce them into the wild, which sounds like it was that time frame where it started really taking. It sure did, you know, and I think, I think you know, obviously people here then could also look just across the border to our neighbor in South Dakota who had been doing the same thing and doing it successfully because, you know, by 19... 19 um south dakota had their first pheasant season and it was only one county it was spink county um south dakota and that was the first year they ever had a pheasant season but they they had been trying to do this uh for quite a little while and establish pheasants up there so you know you didn't have to go far uh for our state government or our our game warden and people talking they knew you know i mean they knew what other states were doing and they were importing these birds in and they were getting eggs and they were releasing birds and trapping birds and and all that through that that early time period and and they were seeing what south dakota was to do was was doing and how they were what they were doing that was successful and what wasn't and and you know i'm sure some information was shared and and um Minnesota was doing the same type of thing around the same time period of us. I wouldn't say they were ahead nor behind us, but, but they were, they were also doing the same kind of thing. And so, you know, I think a lot of sportsmen and 
and outdoors enthusiasts, they were all pushing, you know, to get a game bird here in Iowa. Of course, we had quail. Um, they're native to Iowa. But they wanted that, that bigger bird, you know, I think. Um, they wanted the, you know, it provided more meat. It, it, uh, it was fun to hunt. It was, you know, it's a, it's, they, they wanted that, that sporting adventure to, to go out with dogs and, and have that pheasant. And they believed that this area could hold the population of pheasants and sustain them. Yeah, that's crazy that uh, this whole endeavor was done for the purpose of hunting right it, mm-hmm. it was to introduce a i mean because the the culture it seems like the culture started to demand it you know imagine having that many people speak up today to introduce a animal that is not native to the country just for hunting purposes right it mm-hmm. i i doubt yeah. i doubt a task like that would even happen in today's world yeah you know what i mean yeah I think you're right, and I, but I think they could see the successes too. You know, I, and I kind of forget the stat, but I, I forget what I what I've read before, right off the top of my head here in the interview with you. But out there in in Oregon, where they first brought them, like I said, I think it was 1881 when they brought them, and by 1892 they were having their first season, and the amount of birds that those hunters harvested in just a decade was really kind of jaw dropping. So, the, you know, when the pheasant find good, finds good habitat, when they have good climate, their population can really boom. And so that it doesn't, it's a short period of time. And South Dakota was also a great, I think, and this isn't covered in my article as well, but if you look at South Dakota from 1919, when they had just a one county open season to 1933 and 15 years of hunting, they shot by 1933 i think it was well over a million birds in south dakota so you can see in 15 years just how quickly in the right habitat with the right climate the pheasant population can really really be successful yeah now when did iowa have its first official hunting season for pheasants uh that would have been i think 1925 okay uh, was when they did that, but it was only, let's see, if I, I'm trying to remember my article, if it was at 13 counties, I believe, was that first season, I think. So it wasn't statewide? No, 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 no. And that was, it was just, it was just opened up um, for those counties that really had kind of an abundant, you know, population, uh, the kind of the more that what you'd consider that core range there where it really got started. And that's right back up kind of in that area where that first, those first pen raid, pen raised birds were released, but it was, it's, you know, it's Winnebago and Casus and Humboldt and Hancock and Wright and Sierra Gordo and Franklin Mitchell, Floyd Butler, Grundy, Blackhawk and, and Bremer County. So it's those, those counties up there were really the, where the, where the pheasant really first became, became successful in Iowa to the point where it was it was okay to introduce a hunting season yes yes I think they thought they thought well at that point in time we've got enough birds that we can we can open up you know a hunting season okay so from from 1925 on once they started introducing hunting seasons in some uh, specific counties what happened 
after that point? Did more counties start to, did the population start to grow in more counties to warrant that? Or did it take a while to get to that point to where it was statewide? It did. And I think, you know, it kind of depends on what, what people would consider kind of taking a while, but it, 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 they would open up more counties as the population kind of increased. But it, it was kind of interesting, you know, and those, those opening seasons, we don't want to think about them as seasons like we have today. We're talking about, and I don't, I don't recall what those first, like that first season was, but some of those early first seasons were a seven day season or something, you know, of that nature um, for some of those years or a bunch of those years and and for just those counties and then as that population seemed to expand they would open up um you know the the hunting for more and more counties and um i'm trying to see in my writing but they're there i think it says you know in the article by i think it was 1941 um i think there was over 50 counties then that pheasant hunting was open to and so um, yeah, it just kind of grew, you know, um, opening more and more counties up, you know, as the years went by. Yeah, I'm in reading in the article here that says that in the, some of these first uh, first seasons, they were allowed, depending. Uh, well, actually, in 32 and 35, the limits were set for uh, two cocks and one hen. And it, they were very, you know, extremely short seasons, you know, like you mentioned, that seven-day season. Do you happen to know when and why they took the hen off of the shooting list? Why they took it off the list? Yeah, because right now you can't shoot hens. Yeah, I think I think they kind of just realized that that it wasn't necessary to shoot the hens any longer. I, you know, and I, I, think, I think those early seasons when they let them take a hen along with a couple of roosters um, in a short, short season like this, because early on there were several years where if your county wanted a hunting season, you had to have, through the state legislature, you had to have 150 signatures of landowners or farmers who verified enough crop damage to allow a hunting season and then they might open that county up for a hunting season and so where pheasants were really abundant maybe they were getting a lot of signatures things like that they they thought well let's let's let them shoot a hen when we'll knock this population down a little bit which seems to make sense but yet on the other hand of things you're only allowed letting them hunt, hunters hunt for seven days so what are you really accomplishing so i think part of the part of as years went forward seasons got longer for the hunters they decided let's just manage the male population and let hens have their, you know, live and have their young. That's my take on it. Whether, you know, there's probably something there that, that I've either not thought of or didn't don't know about or what the reasoning exactly was, but that would be probably my take on it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So throughout the thirties and forties, you know, we start, it seems like we start to get to the point where, more and more counties start to establish hunting seasons. The pheasant population, you know, the pheasant populations uh, take off and, and they are solid enough to handle a hunting season. And then it, it, it sounds like Iowa becomes the, the cream of the crop when it comes to places to hunt pheasant. South Dakota, even, even overtaking South Dakota in some years. 
Sure. Yeah, you bet. Iowa led the nation in, in pheasants harvested um, for quite a few years, you know, and 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 I think I'm trying to remember in my article, I think Iowa and South Dakota. There's only two other states since somewhere in the 1960 or 60s that have ever led the nation in, in rooster harvest, and and that'd be Kansas and Nebraska. And Nebraska, I think, only did it one or two times, but Kansas, of course, in the last few years has has certainly come up in in pheasant hunting population and 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 hunters and and things of that nature but but yeah iowa was you know iowa and south dakota dominated the landscape when it came to pheasant hunting in this country and and iowa certainly reigned at the top for their good share of years now of course in the last 20 30 years south dakota's kind of took their place at the top you know but um iowa still holds in their ranking second and third usually every year depending on how Kansas does, how we do. Yeah. So, you know, knowing what I know about this, you know, we, we've kind of gone in chronological order. Now we're to the point where we, Iowa had these glory days of, of pheasant hunting, right? Iowa was number one. We we're top of the heat for some of the best pheasant hunting in the country. We overcame South Dakota. And then somewhere around the late 80s, early 90s, something bad started to happen. And the, our pheasant populations started to take a huge decline uh, in drop-off. What led to that uh, that drop-off and that decline in pheasant numbers and pheasant harvest? Well, I think you go back to climate. You go back to habitat, just like you would almost at any period of time throughout the century, the last century, you know, and it, it's just that important. And and we weren't the only ones, uh, you know, and and – South Dakota experienced their problems with the same thing as well. Um, they lost vast numbers of birds in, in population, you know, and, and so it's, it hit all over, but Iowa certainly suffered. And so a lot of ours, of course, there's so much row crop, um, you know, and I think, I think uh, a lot of it goes to, um, you know, these farm fields are so clean now, you know, that's, that's part of it. We don't have the foxtail on around the, the edges. People mow their waterways. Um, the CRP, uh, argument side of that could be debated both ways, but we've lost so much, you know, CRP ground, um, and that type of ground, uh, use, um, over the last 20, 30 years, you know, and, and that we used to have much more of, um, you know, that cover that the birds need, the the small grain that the bird needs, um, the grit that the bird needs, you know, all those things along with the winter storms, the wet springs or dry springs, all that all that type of thing and and you know, and I spoke with with Todd Bogenschatz, he's our upland biologist here for the state of Iowa and he he sent a couple of things to me and and really, you know, I mean, he said, and I'll quote, that the pheasant distribution in the U.S. is driven by climate and habitat. Of course, climate determines to a degree what your habitat is. And regions have that have little grassland, wetlands, are mostly timbered. Intermediate regions for rainfall favor grasslands and is where the best pheasant populations are found. So the southern third of Iowa is climatically on the fringe of the pheasant distribution for nesting season rainfall. And 
so that it can explain why pheasants did so well in northern Iowa, but we're a little bit more of a struggle to establish in southern Iowa. So, in other words, sub southern Iowa is a little bit wetter on average, you know, uh, over the years. You can look at the rainfall amounts and see that. So those wetter areas, a little more timbered. And you can see that as you go from southern Iowa into Missouri, through Tennessee, through Arkansas, you get into the, those heavy timbers and they're wetter. They receive eight to 15 or whatever you want to call it, inches of rainfall during a nesting season. Whereas you get to, oh, maybe south of Des Moines, midsection Iowa and on up to our northern border, you might get average six, five to seven, five to eight, somewhere in that range of average rainfall in the nesting season. So that's what the pheasant prefers. They thrive in that type of climate. And so those, those nests and those broods grow up. They, there's less loss populations grow. And, and that's really where, you know, we've, we've, you know, and that's, we've got that climate across Iowa to, to do well with pheasants. And we had it all along, but the, but you think I think you point to the the habitat changes in Iowa for pheasant loss over the years, both here and South Dakota, and farming practices. Yeah, I man, don't quote me on this, but I I want to say since 1990, even we've lost man. I don't I don't want to I don't want to give a, a date per se, but I I heard that over. X period of time due to farming practices, uh, we have lost over 1 million acres of pheasant habitat because of farming practices. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 1 million acres, how many pheasants can live on that? That's a lot of pheasants that man, that is a huge impact to the, to their environment. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, and it's been published kind of in our small game report every year that, that, through the DNR does that, that that loss that you're speaking of would be equivalent to a 10 mile wide strip. If you were to go down I 80 from council bluffs to Davenport, that's it. That'd be like equivalent to a 10 mile wide strip all along the interstate, 10 miles wide state from one end of the state to the other. And that's kind of the equivalent of how much we've lost. And, and that it is, that is a lot. And, and, you know, and I notice it, and I'm sure you notice it when you take the field, that you can walk through the fields you hunted when you were young and think, boy, this, you know, things have sure changed, you know, and, and, and I think that, that, that change is, is evident in the bird population as well. And there's, you know, and there's years where it's better and years where it's worse, but we see then the effects like now we're rebuilding from those harsh winters just oh gosh, about 10, eight years ago, you know, or whatever it was, that we had a couple of back-to-back winters that were really rough, a lot of heavy snowfall. Ice. Probably had a lot of birds freeze and, and you know, it was real hard on them. And we're still getting back, but we are. We're recovering a little bit from that now. I think this year, you know, in particular, I think we're going to have a, I think we're going to see some improved numbers. The roadside count's not out yet, but, um, should be soon but i i think i've been seeing more more broods and more hens and and just pheasants in general along the roads where i'm at and i think uh i think this, i'm optimistic for this year on our 
on our pheasant population kind of taking another jump forward. So Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I can remember when I was a kid and I would go uh, pheasant hunting with my uncles up in the, you know, the Parkersburg, Applington, Ackley, you know, uh, Waverly area. And, and it, it was awesome. We always would get a pheasant, at least one pheasant. We would see them, you know, on the road, just driving around, you know, going into town or driving out to my grandparents, we would see them. And then, and I would even, even down where I lived in Henry County, I'd see him on the road. And then something happened in the mid nineties where it just was like, to me, it was like a cutoff and it was just like a boom. I haven't seen a pheasant. And then I went several years and I mean a lot of years and I do, a, I spend a lot of time on the, on gravel roads throughout the year and noticed this almost disappearance of these pheasants. And then over the, I'm going to say five in the past five years, I've noticed in a slow, just me driving around, you know, the, the, the Dan Johnson roadside survey basically, or walking, uh-huh. walking into a hunt and seeing some pheasants jump up or something like that. I have noticed them slowly coming back and, you know, there's a hen running on the road or there's a rooster or, you know, you can hear them. You know, I've started to hear them more throughout the, you know, the, the turkey hunting season or the, the, the deer hunting seasons. And that's a good sign if you're aware and you know what you're looking for. But uh, as someone who, you know, I, I'm not going to call myself a pheasant hunter, but I, I love pheasants. That's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. They are, I think, kind of coming back the last, like you said, five years or so. It, boy, they were really depleted there for a while. And and but they're they're coming back and they're not like quail you know with with our quail uh, along our southern part of the state the, the quail you know just rebounds so much quicker and, you know if they have a bad winter a bad spring you give them a couple of years of good winters and good springs and they're right back you know and but pheasants take longer they don't they don't sit the nests and breed in the same way that that pheasants do so they're that quail do um, so, you know, it just takes them a little longer to, to come back, but, but they're a resilient bird, you know, and, and sometimes it makes you wonder how they survive out there when you're looking out the window and the wind's howling and you've, you've got a foot of snow and it's still coming down and, and you just think, oh, how many birds are we losing tonight? You know, and, and, uh, but they're, they're a resilient bird and they keep, they keep coming back. It's just, uh, they have a lot against them and uh, everything right. from, from the, practices changing to the weather to <laughs> hunters uh, you name it predators but um but you know and in, i'm in i'm in southwest southwestern iowa and and our bird numbers it, it it they're getting better you know and last year i had good hunts um the dog and i was out quite a bit as much as we could get a chance to be and and i think you know we shot now i i've got a south dakota trip in there uh, but I, I, I know I shot about 35 roosters last year and there's a few of those from South Dakota. I don't know exactly how many I shot here, but, but we had a good season, you know, we, we found birds and, um, you worked for them a little at times and at other times you found birds, you know, fairly well. And, and it, it, there were glimpses or reminiscence of, of the old days here and there. And yeah. that's good to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, 
Troy, any more information about uh, pheasants, whether it's like significant dates in history or maybe law changes or anything like that that are significant in this Iowa pheasant heritage? Well, I think I think there's a, a few things. You know, just a couple of things we didn't cover was just kind of a little bit about how hard it was to establish pheasants to begin with in southern Iowa, um, the southern half of Iowa in particular, and and how easier, much easier it was in the northern half just because of the climate and the habitat and the mistakes that the people made because we didn't have that fund that research on hand for them to look at. You know, when they first started when they first started taking eggs and, and pheasants, releasing pheasants in parts of Southern Iowa, boy, they were putting a lot of numbers out there trying to get them established and they just couldn't make go of it. And to begin with, but they were releasing in, in, in bad spots. They were putting them in timbered spots. And we all, you know, we know that that's not what the bird prefers. They were putting, you know, the climate was a big issue, the biggest issue of all, you know, there. And, there wasn't as many as much for small grain. There wasn't. It just wasn't quite the same habitat as it was in climate in northern Iowa. So it took a lot longer for our southern half of the state to to get the pheasant population, you know, established. Um, just information that they didn't have that we know now, you know, um, and it took it took longer um, for them to do that, but. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. I think there's a couple of stats there too that that I found interesting was um, one year I think it was 19 1940s. I don't have my my uh, magazine. I don't see it right off the bat here in the magazine. But we actually allowed the state of Iowa uh, to harvest six roosters a day on a hunt, and that that's kind of interesting, you know. And and uh, they felt apparently the population was good enough they could do that and then i think it went down it might have just been one year they did that and then um and that was a 42 day season i think it was 1944 and then the next three years kind of brought some heavier spring rains and stuff so they reduced the bag limit from six down to five um and then uh, down to three the next year or two and then that's kind of where we stayed but 76 1976 was the first year the entire state yeah it was opened up for for pheasant hunting, meaning everywhere. And so that didn't necessarily mean there were great bird numbers in certain parts of the state, but you could go out and hunt them anywhere you wanted to. And it's been that way ever since. And, and so you can see kind of how hard it was to establish birds everywhere across the state and still is. And, and so, you know, you go to Northwest Iowa by Sioux city and up and all through there, it's easier, you know, and, and you get down towards Burlington and down through there where it's wetter and, and hillier and, more pasture and more timber draws and more timber in general. And it's just, you know, not as much. And so, um, that, that, that's kind of, um, I think that's kind of interesting, you know, that it took till 1976 to, for the state to just truly just say, okay, let's open up the entire state for it. Right. Right. Well, and the, and the positive news is, I think there's a little bit more CRP coming into play here in Iowa, which should help. I think, um, you know, people, farmers are taking a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more awareness for buffer strips now, right? In between the fields mm-hmm. and in the waterways. So it sounds yep. like the reason we may be seeing an uptick in 
you know, the last couple of years in the pheasant population is because of farming practices kind of going back to, you know, taking a, a step back, not, not farming all the way to the edge anymore. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. getting, getting those buffer strips back. They're getting uh, some CRP back into play. And I think that's just going to help, uh, help the pheasant in a big way. I think so. And I think, you know, the incentives, they've been trying to provide some incentives in these CRP programs. And, you know, I mean, and, and I know the price of corn and beans is not great, you know, currently, you know, and, and, but, but cash rent prices were, were up here the last few years, few years ago, you know, so high. And they were trying to, you know, pay really well on these CRP payments comparable to if you were to rent your land for row crop where guys are getting anywhere from 200 to $300 an acre, you know, cash rent and, and compare that and get that comparable, get that CRP payment comparable to entice landowners to enroll. And they had a lot of success with that. Now it's, you know, that's, that's taxpayer money. You know, that that's argued by a lot of different people, you know, one side of the fence and the other, but it's, it has it i think you're right you know in the buffer strips and and all those programs that the that that the uh that our conservation offices are offering that that are helping and for all the wildlife not just even pheasants but um yeah we hope we hope for the best in the years to come we had a good spring report you know this year as far as our um our rain average rainfall was an inch under what we normally get, I think, for most portions of Iowa. So we got a good report, you know, for that as far as what uh, our broods might have been successful, you know. And I know there's a stretch through, you know, in the middle of the state right now that's suffering. And I don't know, you know, how that hurts the bird populations. I know there was heavy drought in west central Iowa. There's, yep. you know, there's some factors. And I think that's why, you know, when you, even when you see the roadside report come out, it's not always... You can't you, you can't take that big snapshot all as 100% accurate information. You kind of have to look at by region, you know, in the state when you're maybe planning to go somewhere to pheasant hunt or this or that. But but yeah, overall, you know, things are encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Troy, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for hopping on and uh, you know covering this topic with us. Good luck this fall, man. Hopefully, you bag some more birds. Yeah, and you too, Dan, and thanks for having me, and I and, uh, hope everybody out there gets a chance to get out there and, and uh, get one of those ring necks in flight and bring him down. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another Iowa Sportsman podcast brought to you by Quiet Cat is in the books. Please go check out Quiet Cat's website, quietcat.com. Please go to the Iowa Sportsman's website, iowasportsman.com. Subscribe to the magazine, read the articles in the blog, listen to the podcast, and I think you're going to have a ton of great information for your eyes and ears. And man, I hope everybody is as excited about the fall as I am. I know I'm getting uh, slowly, I'm getting jacked up for October 1st and for all the activities that are going to be coming our way. Be safe, have fun, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.